Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for checking into the best Houston sports podcast. Robert along with Sports Radio 610, Sean Bajani. And look who's back to wax poetic about the first couple of weeks of Astros baseball. It's our HST host, Emeritus, Stephen Kerr. What's it now? 35 plus years in sports journalism, Stephen? I've lost track. I have too, Robert. So, you know, I guess if you combine all three of us, we're we're well over the century mark, which is probably <laughs> where the Tampa Bay Rays are going to be. I guess they're going to be 162 and 0. So, uh, I, I'm I'm actually I feel like you guys are in a pretty good mood considering, you know, the the Rays are going to go undefeated, and pr- that means the Astros probably won't get back to the World Series. The Rockets fired Steven Silas. The Texans, you know, may not get Bryce Young in the draft. Yup, yeah, you guys are looking pretty sharp there. Hold on, man. The Astros, <laughs> how many World Series have, have they played in the last three years? Two of them? Yeah. And this is the third straight year that they had a six and seven start. So I'm I not know, really I'm being facetious, that. of course. You know, th- <laughs> this is this is nothing. And we're already starting to see them kind of warm up in some ways. But uh, no, it's great to be with you guys. Uh, well, let me ask you, Stephen, because the Astros not off to a red hot start. Is there any concerns that you have this early in the season? Anything that worries you from what you've seen so far? Well, maybe in the short term, Robert, I think, you know, Ryan Presley is a bit of a disappointment, although, you know, you look at his his stat line is certainly not good, but there are some factors that would probably go into that. What is he? Oh, and two at the time that we're doing this with an 844 ERA, no saves you know, in the first 13 games. But I, I think it's one of those things that will come around. Of course, you know, the big controversy with the walk-off home run the other day, was it more that you had a, a rookie backup catcher calling the pitch and the, as the fact that he didn't locate it? You know, who, who's to say? But Ryan Presley, I think, will be okay. I had a feeling, even though I didn't really mention this on our Astros preview, but I had a feeling that Jeremy Pena was going to come out of the gate struggling just a bit, especially – you know, he was so on fire the end of last season and in the postseason, and then he was batting leadoff to start, kind of a little unfamiliar territory. He's come out a bit shaky, but, uh, you know, he's picking it up bit by bit. So, you know, there are some concerns, certainly. I, I had some concerns about the starters at the beginning, not going long enough, but that's to be expected, and that's even that's starting to round out. Yeah, I think those are all fair, you know, initially. Uh, and those are the ones that, you know, stand out the most. Obviously, the, your last point with the starting pitching, uh, not being able to go very deep. But, I mean, look at Jose Arquiti's last three starts, but specifically his last two. You know, yeah. he's gone five and a third and then uh, got you through six the other night, just on 92, 93 pitches, whatever it was, and was really throwing the ball well, keeping it down, uh, not a lot of hard contact. And so that was really encouraging uh, to see from Arquiti. Um, and I think, you know, that to me was like, man, if Rikidi's rolling pretty good and, you know, Hunter Brown's last start, that was a really nice one. I mean, that was a lot of fun and exciting for people to watch that hadn't seen very much of him. That was just his third start, I think, um, you know, as a major leaguer. So that was that was huge. That makes me feel better about guys like Christian Javier and Luis Garcia and Framber Valdez, you know, that when the back end your rotation, you know, guys, your four fives are going pretty good. I tend to think like your one, twos, and threes will catch up a little bit. And, you know, maybe the World Baseball Classic had something to do with it, getting back into a routine, coming home, dealing with all the World Series fanfare, you know, the celebrations and stuff like that. You know, nobody really surprised me, you know, coming out of the gate outside of Corey Jelks. That dude mm-hmm. looks like a freaking ball player. And yeah. I've been really, really excited 
um, you know, for him, obviously former Coug, but that, you know, he's getting his opportunity like Mauricio Dubon, who's never had this opportunity before in his major league career to just like no pressure, go out, you get to play every day. When's the last time you did that? You know, way back when, when you were a minor leaguer, Dana Brown has said it a number of times. And it was one of his, you know, points of emphasis when he was with Atlanta for so many years. Um, and even, you know, before that is creating starter depth, not just in the rotation, but with your positional players. You know, if a guy goes down with injury, you've got somebody that you know that can fill that void on a daily basis and step right in and do it. I think that's what he's trying to develop and see if Mauricio Dubon is one of those guys. I'd like to see, you know, him uh, put David Hensley out there a little bit more. Maybe he could be one of those guys because oh, 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 at the end of the oh, oh, day, Hold on, Sean. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. You're you're hitting like 14 different things, and I, you got to give me a chance to respond to Mauricio Dubon because I I, I I haven't heard an apology from Sean Bujani. But what do I need to apologize I'm gonna, for? I, I'm going to have to apologize because I, I got on Dusty for playing Mauricio Dubon the first week of the season over David Hensley. I was the one that was like immediately on him. Why is Hensley not getting? The starts like he 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 looks like he's the better. We know what we got from Mauricio Dubon. He's a two twenty mm-hmm. hitter. He's this. He's that. I want to see David Hensley because he's got a lot more potential. Blah blah blah. I, I'm going to apologize to Dusty for it because I got it just flat out wrong. I mean, I, I don't yeah, know I-, I did too. I I did too. And you, Robert, you know, on this podcast before when I hosted with you regularly, one of the things that I mentioned multiple times every I would bemoan the fact that Mauricio Dubon would start a game. I'm like, this this guy can't hit. Well, you look at his slash line after 13 games, 361, 395, 839. So, yeah, I, I owe Dusty an apology. And, you know, you look at uh, David Hensley's stat line, and he's had some timely hits, but what is he, like 212, 278, 490, something like that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, you, you and I are going to have to eat some crow, at least for now, Robert, as far – as Mauricio Dubon. Can he keep that up? I, yeah, I don't know. But nah, he, at least look, for now, yeah, he's doing good. You know, Brad Ausmus back in the day used to come out of the gate swinging. The first month of the season, he was leading the league in batting average every that's year. Just mean. That's just mean. That's just mean. You're going after him on a Brad Ausmus thing. That's <laughs> Brad just mean. I'm not being mean, and I don't I don't owe anybody an apology because I told you guys, you know, whether it be Dubon, whether it be uh, David Hensley, uh, Yaner Diaz, Jux, like all these guys, like it's such a small sample size. I don't have any expectation. Like I felt really good about Hensley because of the big impactful at bats that he had last year in the regular season, postseason for the Astros. I thought they were huge. And Mauricio Dubon, that's a guy that I feel like we needed to see more from. And I gave Dusty the benefit of the doubt. I mean, he's a World Series winning manager. If he felt confident enough to go with Mauricio Dubon and <laughs> You know, I know we didn't like the, the reasoning all the time, like, oh, he's a fly ball specialist. You know, that's like uh, saying that a left tackle is a pass blocking specialist for me. It's like, shut up. That's what they're supposed to do. Like, get him out there. Like, can the dude hit? And right now he's hitting 361, leading the team and hitting. And God, I don't know. He might be leading the damn league and hitting. I haven't checked, but no, he's not going to keep it up. But uh-huh. if he could be a serviceable at bat, and if anything, like my point was, he's gaining confidence that he can go out there when called upon and deliver. You know what he's capable of on the base pass. He's got the speed. He can play defense. But can he be that timely hitter that the Astros need in big situations with no Brantley, with no Altuve? And sometimes he might be the first bat off of the bench um, down the road when, the, when those guys do come back. You feel a lot better now that you uh, see him produce. What about 
Jose Altuve? Is he, is he going to be able to get his job back with Dubon playing like this? Or do you just, you go, okay, Altuve, you're going to take the year off. We got Dubon. Maybe it's time <laughs> to trade. Well, if you ask Mauricio Dubon, he's out to take his job. I don't know if you saw, there, there was, a, I think it was an article uh, from Brian McTaggart where somebody asked, you know, Dubon how he's feeling. And with a very straight face, he says, yeah, I'm, I'm out to take Altuve's job. And then, of course, he pauses and laughs. And, you know, of course, he's not going to do that. But, you know, and, and Sean, you made a great point about him because obviously up until this season, he didn't have the consistent playing time that he's getting now. And right. sometimes you you just need to get into a rhythm to get things going and, and show what you can do. But I, I still think he's going to come down a, a level or two. But at least right now, when the Astros are really needing it, he's coming through. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, you, Jolks is another one of those guys, you know, having his first opportunity and seeing this, you know, amount of success. That's got to be a, a huge boost of confidence for a young ball player like that. And it just it pays dividends, guys. I mean, how many times have we seen was it Alex Bregman? You know, when he first came up to the big leagues, didn't he go through like a 0 for 16 slump or maybe it was worse than that? I don't remember. Uh, one of these guys. And we see it from time to time. Some guys can work out of it. Some guys can't. Some guys are highly touted like Bregman was. Others aren't like Corey Jelks. And yeah. when you hit, when you have your opportunities, you know, and you're able to see success from them, especially on a World Series winning team, I mean, it's got to give you all the confidence in the world. So to me, like, that's what this is about at this point in time. The Astros, you know, are good enough and they have enough players currently on this roster whom we're not waiting around to see, like, oh, I don't know what this guy can do. We know what they're capable of. They've been there, done that. And some of them have already reached their peak and maybe going down on the decline. Some of them are still ascending. Some of them are right there. You know, like Alex Bregman, it's just a question of health for him. It's a question of health for guys like Jordan Alvarez as well. Um, and so I think if there was ever a team in a position to kind of like trust your veterans and then see what your younger, unproven, you know, um, you know, not heralded players in your minor league system are capable of, now's the time. Nobody seems concerned about Luis Garcia's start. A couple of starts only. I get it. It's early, but they're hitting 333 against Luis Garcia. 333. That's a... <laughs> <laughs> that's a like batting champion type average against him. Yeah. I'm honestly coming into the season. It, it does seem like it, it takes Luis Garcia a bit to get going. I mean, he looked great at the end of last year, but I, I keep waiting for him to put it all together consistently through the season, you know, and, and be the pitcher that we keep hearing about that he can be. And, and yeah, so far I haven't seen it. And, you know, not just with him, but one of the other things that concerned me early on about the Astros pitching is just the wildness, all the walks and the the wild pitches and, and getting behind batters. And that's one thing Garcia's struggling with is just getting behind so many hitters. You know, that that's going to pile up your innings. And, you know, we've talked about this before. You don't have a Justin Verlander to go six, seven innings all the time. Not having him there, it, it's going to put pressure on the other guys to do that. And they're certainly looking a little better lately, but yeah, we're we're still waiting for Luis Garcia to come around. I'm wondering when Forrest Whitley might come around and help the rotation out a little bit. You know, um, they're going to have to answer the question eventually when Lance McCullers is ready to go. If they're going to decide to go with a six-man rotation, you've got a guy who's healthy, throwing really well in the minors right now. Had a good finish uh, to spring and. 
you know, do you consider bringing Forrest Whitley up and enacting a six-man rotation if, in fact, you know, the schedule dictates as such? Um, and no, maybe- no, 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 you don't bring up Forrest Whitley for a six-man rotation, but Forrest Whitley pitching well means he might be able to take a spot in the bullpen. And the guy that's really in danger right now is Seth Martinez. He doesn't have much of a track mm. record. He started off the season really cold. They are going to go to a six-man rotation, but I would imagine they're going to wait until the games start coming up where you don't have off days. And that's about two months into the season. And, you know, I'm not counting on Lance McCullers to get back, but the guy that right now is favored to be the sixth man in the rotation because of what I heard from Dana Brown during spring training is Renell Blanco. And his ERA doesn't look good so far, but it's because of, you know, it's one of those deals where a reliever has one bad start because if you look at his numbers, they're hitting 211 against Renell Blanco, and he's looked really good. And I think if there's anybody that's got that potential spot as a six man, it would be Renell Blanco. Now, maybe Whitley could make some spot starts occasionally, but I think with the lack of innings that Whitley has had over the last few years, with all of the injuries and everything else that he's had going on, that you cannot go, okay, we're going to start giving you uh, major starters innings in your first year that you're healthy in a long time. I just don't think he's ready for that. So I, I would much rather. Uh, see him coming out of the bullpen this year. Yeah, I think that the Astros have typically done the six-man rotation, as you said, when they have, you know, the the days off situation. But I also think you'll see it later in the season, uh, you know, especially get into, you know, June, July, August. If if guys have been throwing a lot of innings, do you want to get a spot start or two, whether it's from a Renell Blanco or Forrest Whitley? That is, that is something that, that's a possibility that they could do that, uh, you know, at certain parts of the season. If guy, if, if innings are starting to pile up for certain guys. Yeah. And, you know, I do say this a little, you know, with a little bit of hesitation because I know it's been a while. Like we've been wanting Forrest Whitley to come up and pitch with the big ball club, you know, for, for years now. But I'm almost going to say, like, maybe there's no rush really this year. Right? I don't think there is. Because no, he sure. is healthy and he is clean and he's pitching well. And you know, maybe give him an opportunity or some time to establish himself as a professional again. And if in fact, yes, one, the schedule dictates as such, maybe that from a team needs analysis, you know, they, they call him up in a couple of months and they do fit him into a six man rotation, or maybe even like Robert said, you know, maybe an arm out of the bullpen and maybe towards the end of the season, Robert, you never know how these things break out, but he could be a guy that you absolutely need, you know, to, to fit into the rotation. Maybe there's movement. Maybe he's a guy they feel like they can bring in late in the season. They're confident in Brown. If he's a guy that happens to maybe be on the move at some point this season, who knows? But yeah, I kind of side with you guys now and I'm thinking about, you know, maybe there's no rush with Forrest and um, give him some time to establish himself as just a professional once again, that he's feeling good and uh, he's clean and throwing the ball well. Like they did with Hunter Brown last year. Yeah. 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 Great point. The thing I I, want to go back to with Corey Jolkson, you mentioned him. A couple of things. Uh, I, I don't feel like what we're seeing from him is an accident because what I see from him at the plate is somebody with a really short, compact swing. I love his swing. Yeah. He just looks like a guy that's going to get a hit. But the second thing that I want to bring up with Jolks is Michael Brantley. Now, this whole idea that we're just expecting Michael Brantley to come back and be Michael Brantley. When was the last time Michael Brantley was by? It's been a long time that this is he's even been out on the field. And the later 
we get into this, the more I'm like, where is Michael Brantley? Because it went from two weeks to three weeks to a month and it gets later and later. So what Jolks is doing is much bigger than I think what people understand uh, because of Michael Brantley's sort of what, where are we with him? But the other thing that Corey Jolks' success means is because he's right-handed, when Michael Brantley comes back, you got now somebody to switch hit with Michael Brantley. And I think Jolks has firmly put himself in that spot. And also what this means is where are we with Jake Myers? Because I think right now, you know, I, I don't apologize for what I told Dusty about Jake Myers because <laughs> Jazz McCormick has been way better. He's already moved up to the leadoff spot and Jake Myers should be in jeopardy at this point. Um, and, and I think Jolks' success puts Jake Myers in that, oh, okay, we have found at least one other outfielder that looks pretty good. So now where are you, Jake Myers? And, you know, can Justin Durden maybe put a little bit of pressure on Jake Myers after his fr- spring and, and what we saw from him? Well, you know, I guess I need to eat some crow because I was rooting for Jake Myers to be the guy that really surprised people this year. Yeah, well, the only surprise he might get is, uh, you know, a, a birthday surprise on his birthday or something. But, yeah, and, and I've been thinking about that very thing, Robert. The the last report I heard on Brantley coming back is May. And, and look, I, I think what you're going to see when Brantley does come back is that he's going to strictly be in a DH role. I don't think you're going to see him out in, you know, in right, uh, not in right field, but uh, left field or any of the outfield positions. He's going to be DHing, and I absolutely agree with you that it's going to be a platoon situation. Listen, Corey Jolks is going to make it almost impossible for the Astros to send him down when Brantley comes back if he keeps raking like this. You know, he was doing this in AAA last year. He had 31 homers, and nobody was talking about him. He wasn't called up, but, you know, the guy was just quietly raking in AAA, and he does look like a hitter. He absolutely, when he's up there, I'm not saying he's as exciting to watch hitting as Jordan Alvarez. Not saying that at all. But I'm telling you, I get more and more excited every time I see Corey Jolks come to the plate because he's liable to do something big or or at least do something timely. So, yeah, Corey Jolks is a guy that I just think is going to be the one who's going to hang around when you start getting into, you know, sending somebody down when Brantley comes back. You know, then you got Altuve coming back. What are you going to do then? Anything can happen between now and then, but absolutely, Jake, Jake Myers is definitely to the point where he's the one who's going to be sent down, especially if he keeps playing like he is. Full agreement there. We're all seeing the same thing when it comes yeah. to Corey Jolks, and it's exactly what you said, Robert, You know what he looks like at the plate with his swing. Um, he looks like he's seeing the ball really well. And I think he's got really good plate discipline. He doesn't swing at a lot of bad pitches. Um, and, you know, the ones that he does, it, he kind of he knows it. You know, he's able to really make that adjustment at the plate. Like, he, it's almost like you can see him processing. Oh, you know, yeah, I shouldn't have been looking for that or I should have been on the lookout for this. And that swing that he has, you know, when you say – something he's exciting to watch like good things are going to happen like that's the feeling when when a guy looks that way at the plate there's reason that there's already reason to believe that if it's a big spot or even hell it's two out nobody's on 
and you got a three or four run lead and the guy comes up, it's like, hey, here's a guy who can, you know, make something happen, get a little rally started because he's a professional hitter. You could see that just in his approach at the plate. You should feel like something's good. Something good is going to happen when he comes up. And so that's what I'm most encouraged by, by jokes. And look, it's still early. I mean, what, you're 13 games into the season. And um, I think, you know, he's hit safely in every game except for maybe one or two uh, to this point. I, I, I want to see him continue to adjust. I think this Jake Myers and before you're making any personnel decisions, I think you're going to see a good month before the Astros really do anything specifically with Myers though, just the feeling that I had and maybe reading between the lines a little bit. Here's a guy they were going to give an opportunity to kind of seize the day. Right. Yeah. And then make an adjustment. Right now is the time for Jake Myers to get in the film room, get into the cage, and see if he can find that adjustment and and, and make it. And I think Dusty, being a, a player's manager like he is, is going to give him every opportunity to do so. And I think it's going to take about a month before he feels comfortable making a move. We talked about slippage and, like, which of the relievers were going to slide the most this year um, because that bullpen was just so fantastic last year. And I said kind of bet on Montero because he, yeah. he hadn't done it before. And I, I guess my panic over that contract. But I also should have counted in a little bit of Ryan Stanek because Ryan Stanek had a career year last year. And we knew he wasn't going to have a well, one. I think one of you guys may have mentioned Ryan Stanek, if, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah it wasn't I me. Sean. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I probably did. And I think my main reason, you know, uh, I remember the conversation. It was probably because – there was so much unknown about his lack of usage, you know, in the yeah. postseason. It was like, where did this guy go? Like, that's just not right. He's literally one of the best relievers in all of baseball last year. When he stepped foot on that mound, it was shut you down time. And you're not going to go to this guy? Like, yeah. we're going we're going Brian Abreu. We're going Rafael Montero. We're going Hector Neris and Ryan Presley. It's like, what about Stanek, man? The guy's a baller. And uh, – I, I don't know. I've, I've never heard anything concrete in terms of what happened, any significant injury, any issues off the field, personal situation. I don't know. I just hope the guy gets it right. And um, again, it's early. I like his makeup. I, I, I just like Stanek's demeanor. And I think if there is something personal or if there is like a challenge, then he just can't figure something out, you know, throwing the baseball or just be comfortable again on the mound. I, I, I just, I kind of trust him to kind of figure it out. And I want to see it over time. Any concern over Jose Abreu's lack of power, because that was the concern coming into this year with his power numbers, slowly, gradually going down. He's hitting his mid thirties and his average is great. 291, but sluggy percentage yeah. is not so great. 327, uh, just two doubles, no home runs. Are you guys concerned? I am a little bit because, you know, that's what you really need out of that position is the power numbers. Now, of course, you know, he had what in his first eight or nine games, but they were all singles. They, there were no extra base hits, no home runs. You know, as time goes on, you really need him to pick up that slack. You know, you, you can't just count on, you know, Kyle Tucker, Alex Bregman, you know, even Corey Jolts getting going with that or Chaz McCormick or somebody else. Abreu really needs to come through with those kind of numbers. So, yeah, it does bear watching, I think, right now. That that was actually um, a pretty well-documented, valid concern 
yeah. uh, when the Astros signed him is the power numbers, but also like a loss of bat speed. You know, and I, I think I'd, I can't pull these numbers out of my head right now, but I know I was looking at some data this offseason um, when the Astros were just in the conversation of, of making that move and bringing him in. And he was, you say Jose Abreu, and you're like, wow, yes, do it, sign me up. But then you look at some of the numbers, and you're like, hmm, it kind of makes you think a little bit. And I want to say it was um, Adam Spolane uh, a couple of days ago, and I was actually just trying to find the uh, the numbers, but – he made a really good observation in terms of uh, Abreu's um, outs and where they're going. I think it was a Chandler Roan tweet. and was like, oh, another Abreu ground out. He's like six for his last 30 after the hot start. Whatever. He's still got a pretty darn good average. That tells you how hot of a start that he had to the year in the first few games. But Spolane followed up with, well, it was also a ground out to the opposite field which lends credence a little bit to a slower bat speed, which has declined in each of the past three seasons. He's hitting more balls to the opposite field than he ever had before in his career for outs. And why is that the case? I mean, one would tell you that it's just age, and he's getting a little slower at the plate. The bat speed's slowing down. Can he make that adjustment? Or has he made the adjustment and after this hot start, guys, maybe pitching has just kind of caught up. We know the chess game that happens throughout the course of a major league season where pitching is starting to catch up to some of these hot hitters, and now it's the hitter's turn to get into the film room, like I was saying, and make the adjustments, see what they can do for a better approach to the plate. So he's one of those guys where if he's healthy, he's going to ball, he's going to be in the lineup. I trust him to figure it out. He wouldn't have had the career to this point um, if he hadn't been a ball player, and ball players just figure things out. Two things I think about. Number one, there is going to be two moves that we're going to be thinking about here for the next three years because they signed two three-year contracts, both Abreu and I mentioned Montero. And what would have happened if Dana Brown was around? And I would love to get inside Dana Brown's head and ask him, like, uh, hey, you think you would have made this move and you would have made that move if you were the general manager? The second thing I think about with Jose Abreu is – this is real interesting because, you know, we 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 got rid of Yuli because we thought he was declining. That was the thing that you were like, oh, my God, Yuli's yeah. declining. We got to bring in this other Cuban first baseman with all of these intangibles and leadership and all of this sort of stuff. And you, you might get a little bit better batting average with Jose Abreu, but I'm wondering if the power numbers are going to be that much different between Abreu and Yuli and just that. The the at bats, a couple. There's been some odd at bats. There was the, uh, you know, the one at bat where he, he had a couple runners on in the ninth inning. Game's on the line. You're trying to get some runs, and he just swings at a couple of terrible pitches. He goes down, and with three pitches, they were bad pitches. And I'm just thinking, man, I don't, I I don't know if we're going to be asking ourselves, wait a second, was this guy any different than signing Yuli for another year? and maybe pushing it down the road and seeing maybe if you can get a younger first baseman because eventually you're going to need that guy, and first basemen are not typically hard to find. Well, this may be one of the reasons that the White Sox say they weren't, you know, all that eager to re-sign him. They were more than happy to let him get away because they had someone else waiting to take his place at first base. So, you know, they obviously weren't too worried, and they probably felt the same that he was more on the downside than the upside, especially – 
when it comes to things like the power numbers? After uh, the ground out uh, two days ago, um, Spo, this I found the tweet. The ground out went to the right side. Abreu ended the game hitting the ball to the opposite field 34% of the time, up from 20% last year, 17% in 2021, and 16.5% in 2020. So that's the trend that I'm talking about. You're seeing yeah. more and more opposite field hits. And um, I, I don't know how they routinely played Jose Abreu. I, I, admittedly, I didn't watch a lot of Chicago White Sox baseball over the course of the last three or four years, right? Um, but I don't know if he's a guy maybe they were shifting on. Maybe he would felt like, um, you know, this is something that he could add to his game and he just hasn't seen the results. I don't know. Like, these are all very difficult things unless you had eyeballs on this guy uh, routinely to see his approach at the plate, to see how pitchers are pitching him. But again, I, he's a guy like nobody could have predicted the slide that Yuli Gurriel had last year. Nobody. He's a batting champion. Yeah. And then he becomes a 247 hitter in the regular season or whatever it was, right? went balls to the wall in the postseason and the Astros needed every bit of it. There's no doubt about that. I'm not expecting and nor should you anticipate the same sort of decline from Jose Abreu. I mean, that's kind of like anomalous type stuff, right? Yeah. They're both up in age, but Abreu, I mean, he's been a guy who's done this at the major league level for a lot of years, consecutively healthy. Um, and I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt to kind of figure it out, you know, going through a six for 30 slump, um, you know, before really good hard hit ball to the gap uh, yesterday, you know what? Maybe that's the sign of uh, a change, you know? Um, and so I, I just think time is certainly on his side and the Astros side right now because it's so early. Got to have a big tip of the cap before we close out on the Astros to Kyle Tucker because we talked about it before the season, which guys could make the jump. And I said Jeremy Pena, although and I was really leaning towards Kyle Tucker, too. And I know one, if not both of you, thought Kyle Tucker was the guy who was going to make the jump. And we all thought he's going to be helped out by the new non-shift rules and, yeah. and just the fact that he's just getting better and better with each year. He's entering his prime over 1,000 OPS. Kyle Tucker is what we thought he was. He's playing for that contract. <laughs> and that's why I thought he would – I really thought that he would have a good year this year – just because, as you said, Robert, every year he just gets a little bit better, a little bit better. He, he's a smart base runner. You know, the, the bigger bases, you know, and the, and the base stealing, I think, are going to be playing to his advantage as much as anyone else's. He may not be the fastest guy on the team, but I honestly think he's the smartest base runner on the team, certainly one of them. So from that aspect, and, of course, the power numbers are there, the timely hitting, oh, man, he just he looks really good early on. Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm not gonna switch yet, but I am rooting for Tucker. Uh, by the way, hey, can I be on pace guy? I think Kyle Tucker's on pace for like 48 stolen bases right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he might it's be early. right. He's got three. <laughs> okay, but I'm sticking with uh, with Jeremy Pena because he's another guy. If he's healthy, he just eats, sleeps, and breathes this stuff. Like I. Kind of remind he's reminding me of Alex Bregman a little bit. Bregman just drives himself crazy, like to not be able to figure stuff out. And he's not going to stop in the cages or the film room until he figures his swing out. And I think Jeremy Pena is going to be much of the same 
you know, kind of cut from the same cloth as Alex Bregman, if you will, just like a student and just trying to get it right. And so I think I think Jeremy Pena kind of rebounds a little bit. He's gone through a little bit of a slide, but I mean, it's 13 yeah. games, right? Wasn't it through yeah. six games? We were like, oh man, Jeremy Pena, <laughs> look at those numbers. They're crazy. So he goes through a little slide. Again, I want to see the adjustments because you start going through the second, third, fourth turn in your starting rotation. Guys are making the adjustments. I mean, a lot of these guys are in contracts years, like you guys are talking about with Kyle Tucker, and they're trying really hard to figure some stuff out and make that money. And so everybody's working against each other like that. And I think Jeremy Pena is such a baller. He'll figure it out so long as he's healthy, man. He's got he's to hit better. Guys with guns like that aren't 214 hitters. And so I think he'll definitely turn it around. Yeah, I, yeah. I think he's looking a bit better since Dusty moved him back to, what was the number six slot in the batting order. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm not saying I've given up on Jeremy Pena, and I know he's going to get better, but Kyle Tucker – we knew this was going to happen. I mean, we could feel it coming with the ship change and all that. And and that's going to help him as much as anybody in the numbers show that it was going to help him. And, you know, we're seeing it and he just, he, he's in his late twenties. This is when you do it. You know, Jeremy Pena is only in his second season. You know, we could see a sophomore slump. We don't know which are, it's a, it's a very unknown. I mean, you know, we got all excited about what happened in the postseason, but his regular season numbers were pretty similar as far as OPS goes to what we're seeing right now. I mean, right. towards the end of the year, he, he I think he might have jumped into 700 OPS, but most of the year last year, he was in the upper 600s, which is what, what he is right now. I think he's going to be better, but I, I, I don't know if we're going to see the big jump. I'm, I'm interested to see. They're going to adjust to Jeremy Pena, just like everybody else in the other direction, you know, where you could see, right. like, he could be hurt a little bit about that. Steven, any last thoughts on the Astros? I'm, I'm going to throw out a Texans thing before we close things out, but any last thoughts on the Astros? Well, and nothing, I guess, that really jumps out at me other than I, I do feel the beginnings of a turnaround. And, you know, if we get into June and July and think they're still struggling, then we can start to panic. But I think right now the, the Astros are on pace to do pretty much what I thought they were going to do, or they, they will be on pace anyway. I picked them to win, I think it was like 94, 95 games. I mean, I, I just didn't, didn't see them doing the 100, 105, 106, but you know what? They still could. I mean, that's the thing. This team, it's it's only 13 games. They're what, six and seven? You know, what were they, 11 and 10 in the month of April last year and barely under 500 the year before? They still could win over 100 games. I mean, that's the beauty of having so many baseball games. A lot of people think it's a lot, but it also gives you plenty of time to kind of figure things out, get over some of these injuries and turn it around. So, yeah, I mean, the, they could still surpass my prediction of 94, 95 wins. Yeah, and I think uh, 94, 95, maybe it was 96, a little higher. Uh, it's the over-under, I think, put out by Vegas in the preseason. I heard somebody even call for 92 the other day. They think that could get that done yeah. in the in the uh, division. I mean, I don't know. I can just tell you this. They've been 6-7 and seven each of the last three years, and we know what that's yielded. Um, and look, at the end of the day, it means nothing. Um, but maybe it means something because they've in large part returned their entire roster from last season. So they know what it's like to go through the ebbs and flows of a baseball season together with this group in large part. And you've got some young guys coming up who are being asked right now, albeit early in a major league baseball season, um, to fill in for some big shoes, you know, Jose Altuve or Michael Brantley, whatever the case may be, or slumping Jose Abreu, you know, we we need something. 
Um, and they're doing that, you know, um, and it's it's one of those things that reminds me kind of, uh, you know, just just sports, you know, that Alex Bregman and Jordan Alvarez and Kyle Tucker might be swinging the hottest bat. But you know what? Your pitchers are giving up four or five runs every night. They can't get to the sixth inning. It takes a little bit before everybody kind of comes together and has their games going at the same time. We see it all the time in football, basketball, you name it. It's just sports. And so because this is a proven uh, group of ball players, I'm not worried about anything at this point in time. I'm just kind of enjoying watching what adjustments need to be made, should be made, are going to be made, or are being made right now. That's the fun of a baseball season because it's all about that. So I'm not worried. I'm, I'm really encouraged because of guys that we've talked about, Mauricio Dubon, Corey Jokes, and David Hensley. Uh, hopefully, Yonder Diaz gets it going. If, if they do, it makes me excited for the trade deadline. You know, if Dana Brown sees something out there that he really thinks could help this ball club, maybe one of those guys is a piece to help go get another big-time guy in a rotation or a big-time bat off of the bench or solve your center field spot uh, for the foreseeable future. Whatever the case may be, whatever the need is at the time, that's why I'm encouraged by it. Yeah, don't tell me about solving those center field spot. This is total disrespect from my guy. That is total disrespect, total disrespect. Hey, um, Texans, I I just got to bring this up real quickly because I feel like my view on what's going on with the quarterback situation at the top of the draft is changing by the day. And I mentioned the S2 cognition score. And people might not understand it, but this is a big, big deal. I said Bryce Young, the reports are, that his S2 cognition was very high, Sean. I don't know if you've seen or heard this, but now we're hearing that C.J. Stroud's S2, not so high, but Anthony Richardson score high, along with everything else that he scored high in. The only thing he hasn't scored high in, apparently, was his SATs and wins at Florida, which, you know, he just didn't look that great as a quarterback. But uh, are you changing at all your perception of what could happen with the second pick in the draft if Bryce Young is picked number one, or where are you on? And we're like two weeks away now. I don't, I don't know where I've come out. Um, if I've been adamant about anything, it's just I feel like a lot of our conversations have been exploratory um, and just kind of fact finding to this point. But um, I, I just. I do stand firmly on this. You don't escape this draft without taking a quarterback. Um, And that's like lowest level non-hot take ever. But I'll say this. I don't think you escape the second round without taking a quarterback. And that's just because I don't know where a Will Levis falls. I don't know where an Anthony Richardson falls. Um, I, I just don't know. I haven't heard what you just mentioned about Stroud and Richardson's uh, cognition scores. But what I can tell you is that while we we don't know a ton about this test yet because it's nowhere near what the Wonderlick was, I'll just say this. Um, Seth Payne brought up a really good point the other day, you know, in relation to how important or impactful this uh, S2 cognition you know, test is for quarterbacks particularly. And it's that relative to the wonder lick, this cognition really, it eliminates the overthinking. 
right? You know, when, yeah. with, with yeah. your Wonderlick score and you mentioned the SATs and stuff like that, you have a tendency to look at those things and just overthink, overanalyze things. The S2 cognition test is really designed, you know, to eliminate that. And it's to create, you know, very fast uh, decision making and just kind of instinctual um, things. And so I think for that reason, in some of the elements that you look for in a quarterback, it is very important. It can be very impactful. It can be um, very a, a big worthwhile piece of information. So, you know, if CJ Stroud didn't score very well on it, is that the end all be all? Mm, no, but I do listen to that. And I do listen to a guy like, um, who was it? Um, Lombardi the other day. Uh, who was talking about, you know, what's, you know, CJ Stroud's just a very difficult guy to coach, yeah you know? And so I kind of put all of those things together versus what we already know, think we know, have observed, I'll say that uh, from CJ Stroud. And yeah, I do sour on him a little bit. Anthony Richardson, like his combine, like his pro day. I like his attitude. I like the fact that, you know, my ability to read people, albeit sometimes just watching him on TV instead of being there in person. I like the guy who just showed up and just said, you know what, I'm going to be myself. I'm just going to show up, ball out, take it or leave it. That's that kind of, you need the guy. You need the right guy, the guy that just gets it, the guy that can lead, the guy that's going to be comfortable in his own shoes and his own skin that can help other people and bring him along as a leader. Anthony Richardson is bleeds that in my opinion, Bryce Young, you know, exudes that in my opinion. I've seen less of that from CJ Stroud. And that's just my opinion. I've seen less of that from Will Levis. And that's not to say Levis is going to be a terrible quarterback. But if I'm power ranking right now, it's Bryce Young, it's Anthony Richardson, it's CJ Stroud, it's Will Levis. Those are my four in that order. And I would really, really love it. I think it would juice the city big time if the Texans went number two, Anthony Richardson. You heard his name called there. Holy smokes. Or even if they trade back or trade it up to number three, maybe they get back-to-back picks. I don't know. And they get Will Anderson and Anthony Richardson. Holy smokes. Hey, I sucked on my SAT scores. Does that make me bad at my profession? It doesn't make you bad. It, just make, it, it makes my point for me. You know, sometimes those SAT scores don't mean a hill of beans. No, you know, I, was, I was a stinker too, you know, at it, but I – I've kind of, you know, I'm 40 years old now, and the biggest thing that I've learned about myself is I overthink everything. I overanalyze everything. I ask question upon question upon question, and some people will say it's a sign of great intelligence. I know myself, and I call BS on that. I just overthink things. I overanalyze things, and so I don't put any um, in anything into those standardized tests of, of that of that ilk. Yeah, I, I don't know if his SAT scores were bad. That was kind of a joke, guys. Uh, if you know more than I do, then maybe. <laughs> but but I, I was kind of kidding about the SAT stuff. I wasn't kidding about, you know, the Florida could have had a few more wins with them this past year. But um, I, I, I will say this much about C.J. Stroud. I have heard a lot of experts get on television. I've heard a lot of guys on the radio. I've heard a lot of guys in print talk about the Texans and who they might draft at number two. What I haven't heard is anybody say, that the Texans are high on C.J. Stroud. Neither Nobody has said that. No, no, I'm the same thing. I, I mean, and, and I've had the same questions about him, you know, even after this past season that a lot of people are talking about. And it does intrigue me that Anthony Richardson, I mean, his name just keeps coming up. I mean, all these draft analysts are starting to talk about him more. And, uh, you know, those of us in the media, certainly, but all these reports coming out now. So, 
man, I, I mean, I'm ready for this to be over, but I have to say it's going to be one of the most intriguing top, you know, the first few pick drafts than I can remember in years, guys. Yeah. Nobody yeah. knows what's going to happen. Literally, no. in the first 10 picks, we have no idea who's interested. There is so much smokescreen going on right now that I feel like I'm lost in a cloud or something. I just can't, I, I can't figure out what anybody wants to do right now in the first 10 picks of the draft. And what happens in the first couple of picks could definitely completely change the outcome of what happens for the next eight or so. I mean, you just, you, you don't know. Yeah, you don't. That's, that's the, I love this stuff. I, it's, it's exciting. It's intriguing. It was John Harris uh, with uh, HoustonTexans.com who uh, weeks back, you know, was looking at just the top 10 and I think made great sense in an argument as to why there could be as many as five trades inside of the top 10 on draft night, you know, that all made sense, you know, uh, because there's, there's so many needs and movement with, you know, and the analysis as we, as we try to learn more about these guys and, um, associate them and try to make them fit into your organization respectively. Um, you can make a lot of these deals make sense where if you need to trade up or trade down or don't go quarterback and go edge rusher or go linebacker, or whatever the case may be. It's so fun to just look at that. I love not knowing, you know, the, the, the worst part, you know, about the NBA draft for me, a lot of the times is, you know, who's going number one, you know who's going number two, you know, you, you kind of, you just get it, you know, and Major League Baseball draft, it's kind of that way too. Like your top three guys, you get a pretty good idea. NFL, hey, for the first time in a while, you don't have a freaking clue who's going number one. You don't. I mean, and you made a great point. I forgot which one of you guys said it, but yeah. How many times have we heard like the Texans are sold on XYZ guy? I mean, the most I've heard yeah. and from no reliable source, certainly not from the team, have they ever mentioned, like, Bryce Young is our guy. Well, what have we heard from the Panthers? We've heard Bryce Young. We've heard all of them. We've yeah. heard everybody. Why have you heard everybody? Because they want you to hear everybody. They don't want you to know what they're going to do. You know, I still think there's a part of the Carolina Panthers that is thinking, like, you know what? Yeah. You know, we gave up a, a boatload to move up to that number one spot to Chicago. Let's see if we can recoup a little bit. And maybe we don't have to move that far back and we still get a dude because we like a couple of these guys and maybe they'll be there. I still think there's a little part of that about the Carolina Panthers. I mean, that, maybe it has to be like that with any organization. Like, you know what? We're going to drive this train, you know, blow the smoke. And if anybody's, you know, going to come check it out, you know, pull our string a little bit. If the deal is right and it sounds good and it's beneficial to us and we can still get a dude or two, let's do it. Great stuff all the way around, guys. Uh, good to catch up with you, Stephen. Thanks for doing this. Absolutely, Robert. Anytime. Good to talk to both of you. Always good to talk ball, guys. Had fun. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Hey, don't forget to support us by subscribing and commenting on YouTube. You can always listen to us on Spotify, Apple, or your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends about us and share our show links on social media. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.